Well, hello and welcome to the Reasonable Theology Podcast. On this bonus episode, I wanted to share an interview that I did on My Faith Radio's program, Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Bill and I discussed ways you can recognize false teachers. So here is the audio of that interview. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you are having a good Monday. Clay Craby is my guest on our studio line right now. He's a pastor in North Dakota, and he created a website called reasonabletheology.org. He just wants to make theology as accessible as he can for the everyday Christian. I have a feeling that's a lot of us, including this host. So, uh, Clay, welcome back to the show. Hey, appreciate you having me. Always fun to talk to you. Thank you so much. We're going to talk today about false teachers. You know, they are... They've been around since the beginning of time, haven't they? Yeah, not not a new problem by any means. You see it, you know, as early as Deuteronomy 13, the Old Testament, already talking about false teachers that are going to come in the midst of everyone. Mm-hmm. I've always wondered what the motivation is for false teachers, unless it's always Satan at the uh, core of it all. Oh, I think certainly uh, Satan is at the core of it all, but, you know, he, he uses people and their motivations and, and their desires. So, I mean, there could be a number of things. Uh, a desire for power, notoriety, fame, money certainly is one that comes up a lot. So lots of, lots of our, our sinful passions and desires get kind of used, and, and Satan will bait his hook to the taste of the fish by any means. Yeah, no question. So maybe we should talk a little bit about the, the ways that uh, we can better recognize a false teacher. Sure, absolutely. And if, if you're thinking, you know, where in Scripture can I kind of get a sense or some of the ways to distinguish false teachers from true teachers, uh, you really can't go wrong with the book of Second Peter. I mean, it really handles this subject probably more focusedly than, than other passages of Scripture do, though it's, like I said, it's already as early as Deuteronomy. It's throughout, throughout the Bible, both Old and New Testament. But Second Peter especially gives us you know, three very effective ways of recognizing who false teachers are. Because, like it says, they're going to slip in among the sheep. They're going to claim to teach true doctrine. And yet, as Christ warned, false prophets come in there. They're in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. And that's what we have to be aware of. All right. So let's uh, maybe work out of the, the text from Second Peter and maybe find out what exactly we can learn from that, that text. Yeah, there's, like I mentioned, as you mentioned as we began here, there's really three main distinguishing characteristics that we see uh, in Second Peter, at least. There's certainly others throughout the rest of Scripture, and we can talk about those. But the first one we see is that of greed. You see that when it talks about these false teachers having hearts trained in greed, or they have a love of gain from wrongdoing. You see that in verses 14 and 15 of Second Peter chapter 2, and that really touched on your first question. What motivates them to spread false doctrine, false teaching? And, and what we see so often, especially with today's, you know, brand of false teachers, is you see people flying their private jets around, wearing expensive clothes. They are, they're led by greed and a desire for material wealth. And not only do they desire it for themselves, really the way they become popular so quickly is that they often promise it to those who are listening to them. Which, of course, is very attractive, and there, are, there, there will be times when pastors, despite their lifestyle, 
will declare biblical truth, right? As far as, you know, just your everyday pastors or false teachers that are actually proclaiming something that's true? Well, I, I would guess to say there's going to be uh, teachers that might be deceived because they're believing that they're, they should maintain this lifestyle, which to the average person seems completely outrageous. But they will on occasion proclaim the gospel and people will come to faith as a result. Is that a fair, we'll- fair assessment? I think that you you can say in circumstances that that someone may be um, may be themselves deceived, and and so whenever we're talking with someone who's in error, part of what we try to discern is: Am I discussing this? Am I interacting with someone who knows it's error and is intentionally spreading that, or are they deceived? That's a great and point. In either case, you might have people in in the false teaching realm, whether they're self-deceived or intentionally deceiving. Uh, the reason false teachers are so dangerous is because they try and look like sheep. So certainly they're going to espouse doctrines, they're going to say things often that are true, and I think the the slipperier they are, the more difficult it is to discern, oh, is this person saying things that line up with the Bible, but this certainly doesn't sound like it's in the Bible? I think that makes them all the more dangerous because it's difficult to draw that line between truth and error and sadly, many times uh, it, it is people that are either reckless um, or they know what their teaching is not true, but they're doing it for their own personal gain. Mm-hmm. Do some of these false teachers have a tendency, Clay, of staying in a certain lane using certain portions of Scripture over and over and over? Oh, absolutely. You know, there's many different kind of flavors of false teaching, if you will, but the, the thing that seems to really be um, kind of a, a cancer in the church right now is this idea of the prosperity gospel, where people promise health, wealth, prosperity, and they're talking about material possessions. And that seems to be what's really taking hold, not only in America, but especially especially in third world countries where this teaching comes in, and they latch on to any verse they find. They really cherry-pick and take out a mm-hmm. context any verse that makes it sound as though you are guaranteed blessing. Uh, if, if you love God and He loves you, you will have material wealth and prosperity. And they focus only on those verses. They ignore any verse uh, that says otherwise. And certainly we see in, in Christ's own words uh, the model He had. He had nowhere to lay His head. He had no possessions. He promised difficulty as a result of following him, but that's something that you're not going to hear spoken of in a typical false or prosperity gospel church. Yeah, like you have said in your article, they have um, sort of an unwillingness to downplay the hard truths. Absolutely, and you'll notice that. So when you start seeing someone kind of rise in popularity, that in itself is not a red flag by any means, Uh, though you should start having your eyebrows raise a bit if you see someone who gets uh, very, they seem to kind of weasel around hard questions, hard doctrines, hard truths, and they don't want to make anything uh, really concrete with their answers as to what's true, what's false. And when people are willing to downplay hard truths or they're reluctant to uphold unpopular truths in order to maintain their platform, their position, their, uh, their really their, their money, their wealth-getting ability, we see that that's probably a good sign that there's something else going on. I just enjoy you use the word weasel. 
Yeah, well, anytime you can weasel in the word weasel, I'd say you go for it. Uh, I couldn't agree more, Clay, and uh, so that's good. All right, let's talk about uh, the next one on the list, which would be sensuality. Yeah, so we've spoken about greed. The next one that Second Peter lays out for us is this characteristic of sensuality and this, these desires of the flesh. And when it uses this word, it's really um, speaking about uh, behavior that, that's lacking in moral restraint. Uh, it usually has this implication of sexual immorality, this, this sensuality of giving in to their passions. And it says that several times in Second Peter, many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. It goes on to say that they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. So not only are they enticed by their, their sensuality, their passions of the flesh, they also they, they entice others. Um, and what that could look like is, one, their lifestyle, and you see that many times with people that have risen in the ranks and who are popular false teachers today. They often have very sordid past or, or presence, for that matter. And not only that, when they, we talked about downplaying hard truths, there's a real lack of willingness to speak on sin, to speak on judgment, to speak on anything that would seem to try and box people in from fully uh, pursuing whatever desire they have. And so often that means they, they give this license to pursue their own sensual passions. And we see that in, you know, uh, adultery or, or any number of ways. Clay, sin and judgment don't get brought up very often, do they? No, it's, and I, I, I think we often see that as a problem in today's Christianity, particularly in the West and in America. Mm-hmm. But I think at any time in the Christian faith, it's not a popular message to say that there, there is a God who loves you and, and who has great things in store for you, you can, you can fill a room with that, and so many popular preachers too. But sadly, when people start to speak of God's wrath, His judgment, hell, any of these realities of Scripture, which, by the way, is what makes the good news good news, if those things didn't exist, Jesus' death on the cross doesn't really impact my life. The fact that there is sin that there is wrath for sin, that there is hell for those who are outside of Christ, make the good news good news. Well, in their attempt to only speak good news, they actually downplay the reasons that the good news matters. So they don't talk about sin. They don't talk about judgment. They don't talk about wrath. And, and while, yes, that, that can fill a room, uh, sadly it's not going to give people the truth as presented in Scripture. Mm-hmm. And our sin was so bad that Jesus had to leave heaven to come to earth to die for it so i don't understand how it doesn't get talked about all the time yeah i think that's one of the the things that should start to tip us off if we've been reading a book listening to a podcast watching someone on youtube and over time you start to see you know they they only kind of hit the high notes they they only hit the the really Um, things that sound really great. They emphasize the promises, and they never speak of the pain. They never speak of the trials. They never speak of the hardships that will be the light in the life of any believer. We should start to kind of crinkle our nose up a little bit and start to wonder, are they leaving something out? Because when we read our Bibles, we see that from cover to cover. There are difficulties in this life, either caused by our own sin or the fact that we live in a fallen, sinful world. And when they shy away from those things, 
not only does it uh, really kind of open the door for pursuing whatever lifestyle you want, whatever sins you might want to indulge in, and you just have this promise of forgiveness in your back pocket, and it really cheapens the grace. But once you sit down and examine it, you really start to see that news is not as good as the good news of the gospel, the, the full counsel of Scripture that has that includes both the good and the bad of, of what it means to live in this fallen world, that's the better news. And, Clay, false teachers may not be as willing to talk about the seriousness of disobedience. No, and, and that's kind of the two ditches that we're all kind of aware of when we're talking about living this Christian life. You have the one ditch, which is legalism, where we fall into, you know, trying to order other people's lives and say that you can't love God and go to the movies. You can't, you know, eat or drink this. You can't do this or that and be a faithful Christian. And that's one ditch. But on the other side of the road is this licentiousness or, um, you know, lawlessness. Antinomianism is the theological term where people feel like they can live and do whatever they want. I'm a Christian. I'm forgiven, and therefore, I'm free to sin in any way I want, and I know I can be forgiven. Well, anytime someone comes and approaches the Christian life with that heart attitude, it really reveals an ignorance as to what took place on the cross, that that God the Son took on flesh and died a horrendous death in our place. To be able to see that and say, oh, it doesn't matter, I can just sin— uh, really exposes our hearts and shows that we don't understand, we don't have a love for he who first loved us. If we can look on that and understand what he went through on the cross and not have a desire to sin less, uh, really exposes where we are at. And we should be aware of our own selves if that's where we land. And in those, if we're falling off the road in that direction, we need to start to examine ourselves, our hearts in Scripture, and see, am I really of the faith? Yeah. We're talking to Clay Craby, Pastor Clay Craby. He's uh, written an article at his website, reasonabletheology.org, on three ways to recognize a false teacher. So far, we've covered greed and sensuality. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, we've got a third one yet still to discuss. We will be back in 90 seconds. We are talking about false teachers today with Pastor Clay Craby. His uh, website is reasonabletheology.org, and he has used uh, the word weasel and crinkle so far. So we're tracking today, Clay. I've got a list of, of unusual words I'm trying to get through. And Good. <laughs> Good. Good. So anyway, let's talk about the third one, denying God's judgment. That's another sign of a false teacher. Absolutely. And is this not the very first false teaching? You shall not surely die. Right. And that's what the serpent tells Eve in the garden in Genesis 3. And there's this denial that, that God will judge sin. Uh, and we see that in Second Peter as well as we've been using to walk through these distinguishing marks or these characteristics of false teachers. And in that, the people that Peter was speaking of were particularly doubting and casting skepticism. He calls them scoffers. They were scoffing at the idea that Christ would return. And they're not only scoffing at Christ's return, they're also rejecting the judgment that he's going to bring with them when he returns. And the logic at play here is if Christ isn't going to be coming back, what should hinder us from indulging in our greed, in our sensuality, in 
all these other things. And so they deny God's judgment to free themselves up and to teach things that are really going to appeal to those that are living in a fallen world. Now you've got an, a, a great quote from the, the late Warren Wiersbe. Would you share that with our listeners? Oh, yeah. And, and really, just to throw this out there, if you can pick up uh, a commentary set and you don't know what to grab, you can't go wrong. Warren Wiersbe, really good stuff. But he said of, of these scoffers, he says, why do these apostates scoff? Because they want to continue living in their sins. If your lifestyle contradicts the Word of God, you must either change your lifestyle or change the Word of God. The apostates choose the latter approach, so they scoff at the doctrines of judgment and the coming of the Lord. And how true is that we see in our own day, where people find things that are no longer convenient, either to them or culturally, and there's these attempts to change the Word of God, either in conversations when you hear people say, well, to me this means, or my God wouldn't do this or that. That comes out a lot of times where people are trying to change the Word of God because the alternative is I have to change my lifestyle. And lest the Holy Spirit is in us doing that, we're not willing to change our lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Clay, are, are seekers or new believers, are they more subject to misunderstanding? You know, when Jesus talked about that, that we would know false teachers by their fruit— and you look at some of these false teachers that have extravagant lifestyles, might a seeker say, well, that's a, that's a lot of fruit in this guy's life. Oh, absolutely, because if you think of just kind of the, the cultural Christianity, if we can use that term, people, hey, I was born in America, I must be Christian, mm-hmm. they really kind of through osmosis get this message that to be a faithful follower of Christ means to be blessed. Or to be a good person means you'll have a good life. And so that's already sort of the assumption that's out there. So if someone is new to the faith or is a seeker, as you mentioned, that's curious about Christianity, when they see someone that is that seems to have a great smile and they wear nice suits and they've got three million Instagram followers and they're, they're flying on these planes and meeting with these celebrities, that's attractive. That's attractive to lots of people, but especially susceptible to that, I think, are new or non-believers that are, that are sincere in their pursuit of wondering what this Christianity thing is all about. And, of course, that's the danger. Mm-hmm. And that's what you see in these churches. Uh, I would be shocked if you went into some of these, these huge churches that these false teachers have and find someone who's been there for eight, ten years. They're, these are churning through new believers that that God willing kind of wise up and, and see that they're, they're not being fed uh, meat. Oftentimes they're not even really being fed milk, and, and they move on to, to better places for them to grow in their faith. But absolutely, they're under uh, great danger mm-hmm. of Cl- being drawn into these people. Yeah. Clay, do you have a thought on the difference between a person who is a false teacher and, and maybe the person who m- might spread false teaching, maybe unwittingly? Um, Is there a difference in God's view? You know, someone that spreads a wrong interpretation of a verse, but they believe it's true. Um, They just didn't handle the Word of God correctly. I think that is an important distinction to make. So when we're having this discussion, we're not talking about those who in some ways unwittingly uh, teach error. Because we have to recognize that all of us, if that's what we're talking about, we're all false teachers because none of us are 100% accurate in our understanding of Scripture, our understanding of how that applies to our lives. 
we're all going to have errors in our understanding, in our teaching, in our doctrine. When we're talking about false teachers, we're talking about those who are taking a core tenet of the faith, say the deity of Christ, the Trinity, the, the way of salvation, what the gospel is. They're taking that and teaching something opposite. Most of the time when we're talking false teachers, we're talking about those who at least ought to know better mm-hmm. or probably do know better. But, for example, if you're having this discussion with your, your friend over the dinner table and you're talking about eschatology, you're talking about who wrote the book of Hebrews, you're talking about these questions, these intramural debates within the faith, and you have different positions, that doesn't mean one of you on one side of the table is a false teacher and the other isn't. Uh, we're talking more so those who uh, are leading people astray from core teachings of the Christian faith and more often than not, we're talking about categories of doctrine which will, uh, will lead someone to hell if they deny these things. So mm-hmm. again, those, those pillars of the faith that you might come across in the Apostles' Creed or a confession of faith, things that have been distilled over time by, by churches, theologians, councils, things like that, that says this is what it means to be a Christian, and they're out there teaching the opposite and yeah. making it sound Christian. Yeah, uh, that was... Great answer, Clay, and you've thought through that well. I appreciate that. We've got about three minutes left. Do you uh, feel like you have time to share a little bit of George Washington, his Thanksgiving proclamation with us this week? Yeah, absolutely. That's something that is on the site as well. And and as we come into Thanksgiving being on Thursday, we always think pilgrims. We think, you know, hats with buckles on them and things like that. Cornucopia, there's another word on my list. We think of these things. And we assume that that was kind of a national holiday right from the very start, but it didn't become a national holiday uh, until George Washington declared the first one in 1789. And, and you can look that up and find it in a variety of places, but it's just interesting. I think your listeners would appreciate just some of the language that, that the first president, George Washington, used in this address where he talks about he's issuing a Thanksgiving proclamation calling the nation to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God so that we would obey his will, we'd be grateful for his benefits, and humbly implore his protection and favor. So this is the mindset uh, that, that Thanksgiving did and, and ought to carry for us uh, today as well. He goes on talking about um, that we, the people of these states, to the service of that great and glorious being who is the beneficent author of all good that was, that is, or that will be. Just beautiful language in this this Thanksgiving proclamation from 1789 in in Washington's own words as to what Thanksgiving ought to be about. It's it's beautiful, and it's probably something we should all read around the Thanksgiving table. It's it's so uh, well um, expressed, and to come from our president is refreshing, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I think that that'd be a wonderful tradition is just to, to kind of get in the mindset of, one, the historical roots of, of Thanksgiving, and really to, to render to God our sincere and humble gratitude, as Washington did, you know, call us to do in, in this proclamation. Of course, we don't need a, a political or a governmental proclamation to do that. We see that over and over again in Scripture, or in Scripture rather. But even so, it's, it's a great aspect of what this holiday came to be and what it means to really to go to God with a thankful heart. Mm-hmm. Are you going to be staying in town this Thanksgiving, or do you travel? I will be traveling just a short ways over to uh, my folks' place, and so we'll be spending time with family. I might have to print one of these off and bring it with me. 
I think that's a, a wise thing to do. So, uh, Clay, it's always uh, nice to chat with you. And let me just uh, let our listeners know again the place uh, to go to uh, learn more about Clay and this ministry called Reasonable Theology is that very word, reasonabletheology.org. And I can see you've got some uh, podcasts up there, too. Nice job on that. I'm looking forward to uh, listening to Striving Towards a Humble Calvinism. And I also see you had a chance to chat with Jay Warner Wallace, one of my favorites. Yeah, a great conversation. So I encourage people to check that out, reasonabletheology.org slash podcast. I mean, not as good a conversation as when I talked to him, but, you know, it's, it's pretty good, right? Close. A solid B minus. Solid B minus. Thanks, Clay. I appreciate your, uh, your humility. Have a great uh, Thanksgiving, and I'll talk to you again soon. Thanks a lot. Have a great day. You bet. Again, Clay Craby is my guest, and his web address is reasonabletheology.org. It's a great little website. You can go there and kick around and read all the articles. They're nicely laid out and easy to navigate your way around. Thanks for listening. You can, of course, find more resources at reasonabletheology.org, and you can check out Bill Arnold's program at myfaithradio.com.